you know, my, my goal is to drive to still have home base, probably in Florida eventually, but still have, you are getting old then if you're trying to move to Florida, (laughs) because of Disney, bro. Like I got to make my life happen. (laughs) The only reason it's Florida is because Disney. What's up, guys? Brandon here again with Modified Rides Podcast. As I told you when I first announced this, we're going to have some some industry players, some industry heavy hitters in there. Today, we have one of those heavy hitters. We have Robbie Bryant of Keg Media. If you've not heard of Keg Media, have you even been in the industry for the last, what, 20 years? Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself, Robbie. Uh, So like Brandon said, I'm Robbie Bryant. I'm with a company called Keg Media. I'm the owner and founder of Keg Media. We're a kind of, I don't know, we do a lot of things, but we're a a graphic design company is how we started. We specialize in the automotive industry, but we do do graphic design outside of the automotive industry. We do uh, SEMA build management and also event promotion and marketing. So uh, one of the ties with with Robbie and I, Robbie did the Modified Rides podcast logo that you see on the, the artwork from this. He did my Braille Images logo. He's done every one of my renderings for all my SEMA builds from 2014 until now. So Robbie's become my go-to graphics guy in that aspect. So, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it, I guess you'd say. Yeah, yeah. Brandon almost broke it, though, because he uh, hit me up. And he was, he's so used to telling me how to do his renderings because he knows what he wants to look like. So he starts telling me how to do his logo. And I'm like, bro, let me just do this. And and I said, point taken. I said, uh, just run with it. Do your thing. I said, actually, my exact message back was, uh, uh, you do you, boo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I he, told you. I said, that'd be like me telling you what angle to take a picture. Now, he, he, I, he ran with it and absolutely knocked it out of the park. So, uh <laughs> So when you first got into, I guess we'll, we'll we'll go back a little bit. I guess when I first met Robbie, it was actually before the Keg Media days, before all of that. It was back, for you OG guys, you'll remember his Alero he had. Uh, I knew, I guess you weren't even in doing any of the graphic stuff back then. Because I remember I met you in, in Pigeon Forge one year when you had the Alero there. Yeah, I was just starting to teach myself graphic stuff. So like those vinyl graphics I had on the side. Um actually designed those and then used a local sign shop to like cut them for me and you know i did them in photoshop i didn't even vectorize them but that's when i started teaching myself graphic design is back when i had that alero that that was back when when me and robbie were first introduced to each other we we were in was it relaxed we were in together yeah 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 back in the relaxed atmosphere days that's gosh forever ago Um, yeah i remember going to show fest i think it was show fest 2000 and uh getting uh accepted into relaxed atmosphere that was that was a big deal man like real big deal and, and, oh, and jerry back, lewis back then there was no you know facebook like there is you know i think street source is about the only way any of us ever talked so i think me and you actually talked to each other on street source on the chat rooms and then kind of become friends that and you're like hey i'm gonna be in pigeon forge where are you at and yeah i don't even think we had text messaging back then no, I don't. I don't think we did either. It was all, you know, you'd, you'd rush home after work and you get on the chat rooms to see who was on, and you know, yeah. log back in with the AOL, you know, dial up login to see who was on and and what was what. But didn't didn't Street Source kind of get your foot in the door for your company? 
Oh yeah, for sure. Cause like there was, there was no place else to really advertise what you were doing. And, you know, I started off, uh, so just to give you a brief history of how I started, uh, back in the day, there was, uh, a free trial of, of, uh, Photoshop on computer that I bought. I think it was an old Dell computer maybe, but, um, I opened it up, started teaching myself stuff. There was a bunch of forums that you could go to like Photoshop com and things like that. And they would do like contests and everything. And, and, uh, and I started winning some of those. And then I started posting on, uh, street com on the forums and throwing up some, I don't even know if we could throw stuff in chat. I don't think we could. We could no, just put like logos forum. in there. Forums were yeah. where it was at back in the day. Yeah. So the forum. So I put it on Street Source Mag Forum and people would ask me to like do their truck, lower it, change the wheels, paint it a different color. And I started doing that. And that was right around the time that uh, Brent from Graphic Disorder was doing renderings too. And I think me and him both started around the same time. Um, I originally called my company Devilish Designs. and then. I quickly changed it to keg uh, or not keg. It was uh, cutting edge graphics, which is what keg stands for. I had, and, a, uh, had Jason Ballard on, on a, the first episode of the podcast and you know, his rendering of bada bing and it said on the bottom of it, cutting edge graphics. I'm like, well, that's a, a logo I've not seen in a while. Yeah. That was one that we did for him years ago. He was, he entered it into a, some type of contest for a free paint job or something. I think it turned out, like a disastrous contest for him or something, but he won, you know? And, uh, and yeah, man, that was years ago, man. Uh, that's a cool dude right there, man. Lifetime friend, you know, with Jason, but so, yeah. So, you know, with keg, you know, I, I didn't want to, everybody kept calling me keg and I didn't want to just be called keg. So I added the word media, uh, later on. And, but yeah, so, so to get to the story, so we were doing them, we were posting them. People was asking me to do them for them. I was doing other work, you know, for a full-time job and I'd get home and I'd be so busy doing renderings. I decided to start a business out of it and start charging people. And then the rest is where I'm at now. Did you ever think when you bought that, that Dell computer that you would be doing what you're doing now <laughs> off of some free app? So yeah, no, not at all. It's definitely um, not free anymore. As we talked the other night, it's a, a little expensive to to run these apps. Yeah. Now. Yeah. I pay like $89 a month. to have a Photoshop and <laughs> Adobe Illustrator, like a full suite, you know, Adobe suite license. So you don't mess with like the the Premiere Pro and that kind of stuff with the video. Man, I should because I pay for them, you know, but I don't know how to use none of that stuff. Well, it's like me the other day when when Robbie sent me the my Modified Rides podcast logo, you know, trying to do some some artwork for the logos and or for the each episode. I was like, well, how do you do this? And he's like, how are you a photographer and don't know how to use Photoshop? And it's like, well, for the first, you know, 15 years or so of being a photographer. Yeah, I was cooking dinner. I had to have you FaceTime me so I could like, and then show me your screen so I could show you how to type onto an image. It was crazy. I was well, like, I was shocked. I, I I thought for years you knew how to use Photoshop pretty well. Well, there forever, none of the editors wanted you to send in edited photos. They wanted their art guy or art department, whatever there was at the time, to edit them. So you, they wanted the raw photos. And Michael oh, Pander yeah. a few years ago was like, "Hey, you know, if you want to edit this shoot, you know, send it in and try it." And I just, I pushed myself and learned. But you know, I use Lightroom for everything. Everything that I need with what Lightroom offers now is more right. than enough. But you, like, you wouldn't use Lightroom because you do all your stuff in 
in Photoshop, but same thing. I hardly ever open it. I've got the after effects. I don't, I, I couldn't tell you how to use it, but I've never mm-hmm. needed to. So yeah. Right. Yeah. I know Dale, um, Dale Martin uses Photoshop a lot, you know, but I mean, he might take 15 to 20 different images to make one image, you know, and, and then he does a lot of the taking it out of the background, placing it into a different background, stuff like that. I remember when he shot, uh, the Arctic frog, I think he put it in stuff. Oh no, it was when I did the rendering of the Arctic frog, I sent it to him and he put it in snow for me. And, and for people that don't know, Arctic frog was your, the white Jeep with the tracks on it. Yeah, that was the one we did uh, with uh, Complete Customs in McKinney, Texas, and it was uh, built uh, in honor of the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation. That photo shoot that Dale did with the helicopter in the snow is probably one of the most epic photo shoots ever. Yeah, a lot of people thought that that was Photoshop, like when we first posted pictures, and so we had to throw the video out there so people could actually see the helicopter flying around. That is one of the most epic. If If you just Google that, it'll pop up. It's sitting in the snow. There's like a little two person helicopter floating behind it. Like it's crazy. But yeah, Yeah. people like Dale, Brian McGee, some of those photographers, they do a lot of that composite stuff. I've tried it and it's so time consuming. Like those Dale and Brian and those guys are just masters at what they do. So yeah, they shoot a certain way. I shoot a certain way. Hell, I've had Dale shoot one of my SEMA builds. Brian shot two of my SEMA builds. So it's like, I watch, I go to their photo shoots and I sit with them and I'm like, wow, this is cool to see this because it's completely different than the way I shoot. So, yeah, Dale's definitely a master baiter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so let's go back a little bit. When, what got you, like, what was your first modified vehicle experience? Like, was, was it picking up magazines like a lot of people did? Was it something <laughs> cool that had something cool that you loved or? Man, my very first experience was when I was like 15 and a half, my mom started looking at buying me a vehicle and she bought a Volkswagen Beetle that was like cut in half behind the front doors. And then it was like, like a flat cab or whatever, you know, and then there was a flatbed on it that had like some rails and it had like cherry bomb and cursive painted like hand pinstriped on the side down by the rocker. You're talking like, and old I thought that was the. What's that? Like the old Beatles. Yeah, old Beetle. Yeah, yeah. That was going to be my very first car. And it was like, it's full custom, you know, it was custom built that way. And that thing was so neat. And I got in trouble. And then I had to watch my mom stick that car with a for sale sign in the front yard. <laughs> and so once I turned 16, she bought me a, a little Ford Escort, just like a normal Escort. Grandma and the car. first thing, yeah. Yeah, but it was a two door. But the first thing I ever did to it is I went to, and it was like an auto zone or whatever it was back then. And I bought some pinstriping and I, and I put pinstriping on the windows because that was like a cool thing back then. And you got to remember, I'm 50. So this is 34 you're, years ago. You're 91 ish, maybe? Yeah, right. It's, yeah, yeah. So, well, 91 is when I would have graduated, it was before then. So it was like in the late 80s, 87, 88. Um, so I took this two different color pinstriping and I did the heartbeat looking thing, like like on the glass, you know? And dude, I thought I was the shit. So the Chevy like, heartbeat on your Ford Escort. So that was- Yeah, and I bought some little hubcaps and stuff. And, and uh, you know, of course I wrecked that car pretty quick. And 
But then after that, like everything I got for a vehicle, I tried to do something to it, but I was pretty broke. You know, I didn't have no money. And so it was just like cheap stuff, you know? And, and, uh, I think my, my first full blown custom was probably a geo tracker is when I lived in Kansas city and I, and I, uh, I had a mini truck. I had, I had an S10 and it was that baby blue, that factory baby blue is like the old square body S10s. Yeah. And it was like that pale sky blue color. And everybody was priming stuff back then. So I thought it'd be cool to prime over my beautiful paint. <laughs> and we added a, man, I spent so much money with, a, what was it called? AM Industries or something. They sold like ground effects yeah. and, and, yeah. and whale tail spoilers and all that kind of stuff. I, I bought so much stuff and then we uh, primed it and I, I body or I thought I was fiberglassing in the, the ground effects and making it all smooth. And it looked pretty decent in primer, but good Lord, I'm glad I never tried to paint that thing, but <laughs> I had that. And then I gave up on it and I was probably 21, 22 and I got a geo tracker and we called it the Joker. And I had this guy airbrush like this, this Joker head uh, on the hood. And it was holding like the eight ball thing. I think it might've been a low rider thing, but it had like 15 by 10 reverse wheels on it. And we heated the coils up and laid it all the way down. And it was yellow and had black scallops on it and had a personal plate that said the Joker on it. And on the cruising strip, like that's what everybody would call me was a Joker. And what, uh, what some of the, the, the younger people don't know is like back then, like the 90s, like the trackers and the, the Samurais and all that were huge. Oh, yeah. Everyone had the little sticky outy wheels. The 13 Dude, sticky outy wheels were the thing back then, man that everybody had them if you didn't you know i know people that had the 13 by sevens their speedometers crazy off because they're running these little bitty tires on these looks like a roller skate that was smushed just way before the stance kids started doing anything oh yeah yeah after that i got rid of that and after that i had a, a dodge avenger and we put a peanut butter rag top on it oh. and uh, it had a, a supra like a super wing and then we had i think we had 17 or 18 by nine reverse wheels on it like they were sticking out and it was all black all black tint like it was pretty slick looking man i i got a lot of tail on that car <laughs> now when you <laughs> when you say uh the rag on you don't mean the sliding rag like the mini trucks you're talking the whole roof yeah like, like i think they call it land, here. like landau tops or something like yeah. that but it was a canvas material exactly like a rag top is old except i had the whole roof covered old cadillacs had them yeah, exactly like that. Yeah, yeah. And I was more into like low riders. I was in a club called New Image CC or something like that back then in Kansas City. And and uh, I wanted to put some Dayton's on it, man. Like some all go back Dayton's, but Ain't none of us never did. Were doing back then. No, nah, hell no. Way too expensive. You look, you looked and drooled in, in low rider magazine and stuff, and you know I'll, I'll never afford those. Yeah, and then after that was probably my first experience with a nice mini truck. I. I bought the first year that the the round body style S10 came out with a step side. Um, can't remember what year that was, though, but I worked at a Chevy dealer. So I had one of the first ones to hit Kansas City. And then I worked with Street Scene. Um, they made like the uh, the mirrors. Yeah. And uh, I was the first person to have uh, the step shaver kit where you shave the rear steps off and had the roll pan and uh, had their mirrors and had their, their smooth cow on it. And, uh, we bagged that thing. It was one of the, it was one of the first 
bagged minis in Kansas City that had 18-inch, I call them face wheels, you know, like didn't have any dish to them. They were inkies. And uh, that was that was my first, like, bag. Because my old, old S10 had air shocks on, on it and, and coils in the front. But, but now my looking, first bag looking back at, at that bag job on that back then, uh, would Jeez. you put your kids in that vehicle? No, nah, man, I got all that stuff from AIM Industries and... And we probably didn't even know how to weld back then. And man, I had this guy that worked for me. He's my buddy Mike. He did all the welding on it. I don't, I don't even remember what the welding looked like, but boy, it, dr- it drove down the road though. At the time though, that was that was the shit. That was where it was at. So oh yeah. Well, like my CRX, we didn't even take the springs out of it when we cut them. We just took a cut off wheel and took the wheels off, put it on jack stands, and counted however many coals we wanted to cut out and. <laughs> and put it back on the ground and took off so yeah my tracker we just stuck a torch to them on both sides and waited for it to drop and then we'd stop and then it would keep dropping a little bit because it was settling it was man crazy that thing rode like a lumber wagon dude it was just bounce 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 but no one back then made parts for stuff like there's parts for every vehicle out there now yeah back then we had to improvise and do whatever we could to do something custom which i don't think a lot of the kids now understand because they can buy something and bolt it on and be done with it right yeah so how did yeah i I figured that bolt on life uh i figured that out uh once i got into further into the car and truck scene and been in it for a while but you know i I switched over some years to lifted trucks, you know, in probably 2009 or 10. Well, uh, I know you worked at a couple couple shops back in the day. How did you how'd you get your foot in there? Did you sweep sweep around as a kid to get in there? Or? Man, so crazy. So, so I sold cars for from when I was 19 to I think 26 and was really really good at it. So, I didn't have to have a vehicle to drive. Um, actually, no, I sold them up until 99 or 2000. Cause I worked at one when I bought the Alero. And so I had, I had quit for a while cause you get tired of the car business. So I quit and went worked at this place called Chuck's trucks as a salesperson, then went back to car sales once I had my first kid. So that was 28 years ago, almost 29 years ago. Um, but then, uh, so I had experience working in a shop, you know? Um, and then uh, this dude, uh, Luke Roggy, like known him for years since he was a young kid, man. Uh, I remember he used to be like a pain in my ass out on Nolan Road in Kansas City, a little cruise strip. And now people know him as Uncle Luke. Um, that's what some people in the industry call him. But he's kind of disappeared from the car and truck scene. Not as, you know, he used to be more involved in it, but he's Kansas City boy. Um, You're talking about his, Big Luke? Yeah, Big Luke. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So his mom opened up a custom shop for him called Scanless Customs. Oh, yeah. And I hated Luke, like couldn't stand him. We did not like each other whatsoever. And he came to me, I think I was eating dinner somewhere, some restaurant on Nolan Road. And he asked if he could talk to me and asked me if I'd be interested in running his custom shop that his mom was opening for him. And at the time I thought, man, like, I don't even like this dude. He don't like me, you know, but, and you but he's seen thought, that. You probably thought yeah, you were walking like, up to you being Big Luke, like, uh-oh, you know, where, where's this going to go? Yeah, Big Luke back then was a big puss. <laughs> like, he, he's probably a bad dude now, but he was, <laughs> Luke will watch this. He'll, he'll, he'll admit, back in the day, that, that dude, he was a big old puss, man, like a big old teddy bear. But, he had, what was it, the orange and white Civic or whatever he had back dude, then? Dude, yeah. Yeah, that, that's what we built. Um, 
when we when I first started running the shop. So uh I said I would do it uh if they paid me what I wanted, which they did, and uh I had kind of free reign to run the stuff without you know, a lot of interference. And they did that. They trusted me uh, greatly. His, his mom's great. You know, his grandpa was great. He, he was great with me. Um, but I told them I wanted to move Chris Carroll who built the smooster. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted them to relocate him to Kansas city. Cause he was a badass fabricator. Cause he's the one that did all that fiberglass I had in the Laro, like all the audio system oh, and stuff. Uh, didn't you have like a, a face coming out of it or something? Yeah. It had like three skulls ripping out of the fiberglass and, and big old diamond audio subwoofers and the whole back had like an alien skull with the eyes that lit up oh, and I remember that. and mini truck looking graphics cut out of fiberglass. I mean, it was sick, dude, like, like the amp rack and stuff, but I knew how talented he was and I wanted him to come up there. So they relocated him and he did all that shaving and everything on Luke's car. He built a, uh, another one. A guy's name was Kobe Kendall. Uh, he had a red, all-wheel drive um eclipse gt and it was fully shaved the whole rear do you remember that car way back in the day yeah the whole rear was smooth like there wasn't a bumper there wasn't taillights nothing it was completely smooth and uh chris did that um chris is talented dude like man he's talented like the whole smoocer he built the whole smoocer like i gave him some ideas and i designed it and stuff but Dude, he, he's his fabrication skill is is wicked. So, so you worked for uh, Uncle Luke's family for a little bit, and then you went to a different shop, or yeah. So I worked with his family for a little while. Um, I don't know about a year or two, and then uh, I ended up getting divorced, and I wanted to get out of Kansas City, and so I moved to St. Louis, and I ended up getting a job there at a place called Scorpion Automotive. It was actually a body shop called Scorpion Auto Body but they wanted to do like custom stuff and sell accessories. So uh, I had known the guy a little bit from living up there. Um, I think his name was Jimmy, but uh, he had asked me if I'd be interested in running it. So I told him what I needed. They agreed. And uh, so I started running that for a while, but it didn't really work out. You know, it wasn't a very good area. Uh, not very much traffic, you know, didn't really do any advertising and stuff. It's almost like one of those things you, hire somebody and think they're going to be your savior, but you still got to put money behind it. And it just didn't happen. And so, uh, I ended up quitting that. And, uh, that's around the time, uh, that I started doing more graphic design and doing cutting edge graphics. And so it started taking off. And so I, I didn't need to work. Um, I actually quit because I was so busy doing renderings and stuff. And plus the shop wasn't working out anyway, but, Ever since then, it's it's just been cutting edge graphics. I've I've never had to get another job. As a matter of fact, uh, I was really getting into getting tattoos back then, and I got my top of my hands tattooed and my knuckles tattooed, and I put self made on them. Right, and I'll explain that in a minute. But um, I did that because I knew nobody would ever hire me for any type of good job. No car business, no nothing. You know, maybe an old used car dealership, but not nice dealerships where I was used to working. And uh, so I better make my business work. And uh, so that's why I did. That's why I got my hands tattooed and stuff. But I got self-made because I actually dropped out of high school after my freshman year, got in a little trouble with the law, uh, did a little shock time, you know, uh, about four months, and, and then came out 
went to Job Corps, got my GED, uh, took clerical instead of taking a trade to where, uh, you know, learning plumbing or electrical or carpentry. I took clerical because like all the girls were in the clerical class. And oh, so, what? Because you wanted to be a secretary. Hell no. No, I just wanted to be where all the girls were. And so, but I, I, I learned to type like really fast and I got really fast on the tin key. And, uh, and so they were supposed to give you like classes to go get your GED, you know, to test to see if you can go get your GED. And I'm like, Oh no, I, I don't need to take classes. I'm, I'm smart. I was a straight A student almost when I was in school. I never brought homework home. I, all my stuff, you know, my cousin would bring tons of homework home. He was in the same grade as me and my mom and his mom were sisters. And they had always talk about, well, Robbie never has homework, but like, I just, I was really smart kid, man. And so, and, and I knew if I had homework, I couldn't go ride my four wheelers. So I always did my stuff at school. And, uh, anyway, I, I had to take a couple tests and I tested out really fast, you know, and I went and took my GED. I think I missed like two or three questions. I scored super high. And they offered me a, a scholarship to a community college. And uh, I didn't, I started doing that. And then I was just like, man, I hate school. Why did I ever accept this? And so I went and sold cars because that was the one thing you could do back then. You didn't have to have an education. And I just happened to be really good at selling cars and did that for years. Stuck into that. So you're talking about like when you got your hands and stuff done, but I guess. You know, nowadays it's normal to see someone walk in with their hands done, their face done, mm -hmm. you know, no big deal. But yeah. you know, then it's like you're highly frowned upon. I'm, I remember even when I worked at Pepsi, the Budweiser guys that sold beer for a living could not have any visible tattoos. And it's like, right. it was just a whole different world. And then, you know, then what? Yeah, because I, I always knew that my, I knew when I started my business that my fallback would either be running a custom shop, which I didn't want to do no more. There's really not that much money in that or wasn't back then, um, unless you're the owner, you know, but the other thing was my fallback was always the car business. Anytime I left the car business and I wanted to go back and make more money, I went back to the car business. And so I knew for sure I wouldn't get hired back doing, you know, selling cars at a, you know, a high end dealership and stuff. So how old were you when you started? I guess that'd be devilish designs to begin with. How remember how old you were? Um, I would say I was probably, well, it would have been, this is 2023. So I'd say 2001, I would say. And then I changed it to cutting edge graphics in 2002. So you were out of school for a minute at this point. It wasn't like you just straight out yeah. and ran into it. Yeah, because I dropped out. Like I said, I dropped out. I was barely 16, maybe. Um, maybe a little, yeah, maybe over 16. But yeah, don't don't drop out of school, kids. Don't 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 take my path. It was rough. Um, but yeah, I uh, I would say in 2002, well, 20, 21 years ago. So I would have been 30, 29. Yeah, 29. But man, I didn't get my shit together. Like my, my life was still a disaster until I was 33. Like the, when I met Kina, my wife, that's when I grew up. She put the like whip before, down, huh? Not really. I just, I mean, she never said I was a loser or nothing like that. You not know, like anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe told people, but um, no, I just, man, my life changed. You know, it was weird for me and her though, because it wasn't like a normal dating thing. I met her online. Uh, the way I met her was I was in AOL Arkansas chat room 
with a fake name spying on this girl that I was dating because I heard she was in there hoeing it up, you know? And so I had joined this chat room. Well, I became a regular in it over the next month, month and a half. And she was in there and she was like the meanest girl in there. Like guys would try to talk to her and she would, oh my God, she would just light them up. And I never tried to talk to her. And uh, when I finally busted this girl in the chat room and called her ass out, like uh, Kina had messaged me. And I think her screen name was Stabs You in the Heart. And she messaged me and I ignored it. And uh, like a private message or whatever. And so I ignored it. And then she messaged again and said, you're just going to ignore me? And then she said something about my tattoos. Uh, she liked my tattoos. They looked familiar. And uh, I was like, oh, yeah. And she lived in Arkansas or Little Rock. or No, I lived down by Little Rock in Cabot. And she lived in Fort Smith, which is about two and a half, three hours away. And come to find out, her best friend's husband or boyfriend at the time was my tattoo artist. Oh. But And Kina had came there every weekend and hung out with them. But I'd never seen her because I always went during Tuesday, Wednesday appointments, you know, when it was more dead and she was on the weekends. And so we had met at a Brahms on my way coming back from Kansas city. I was passing Fort Smith. So we met at a Brahms and talked because before then we talked for like two weeks. So the first day we met was new year's day, which we consider that our anniversary. And then, uh, I would say the next weekend she came down and then, Stayed the weekend, went back home, and then the next weekend she came down again, stayed the weekend, got up early Monday morning, went back home, drove two and a half hours so you could get home to work. And then the following weekend she moved in and never got rid of her since. It's but, like me and Kristen. She I moved into an apartment. She stayed with me that night and I don't think she ever left. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It but it was such a hell of a drive too. And and her getting up like at three o'clock in the morning to get back to Fort Smith to be at work at six AM. But um she got pregnant really fast. So to put it in per- perspective, you know, you're pregnant about nine months. We met New Year's Day and our first child was born of Christmas Day that same year. Dang. So we didn't have the whole dating phase, get to know each other phase. Like it was like, okay, here we go. Well, it sounds and, uh, like she whipped you into shape though. Yeah, but she she had a little bit like I spent money on cards and stuff, but uh she had I don't know, she was just I always thought she was higher in and I needed to do all I could to provide for us and didn't she I mean, have a super or something back then? Yeah, before I met her she had a super. Yeah, that's what I remember, she didn't yeah. know how to drive it or nothing. She like ripped the clutch out of it. Her and her bonehead ex husband uh, actually sold it and then bought a Skyline GTR from some dude in like the Netherlands or something, but it was a scam. So they never even got the car and lost all their money or something. I thought I remember her saying something at one point about having a Supra back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. She had, she had a Supra. It was her and her, her ex-husband's, but uh, uh, yeah, when I met her, she was actually married, but it was like one of those marriages they weren't even together and she was like putting ads in the paper announcing a divorce type of deal. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, well, she actually had a different boyfriend when I met her. She was married and had a different boyfriend, but uh, the strange husband was wherever and she didn't even know where he was. And and then the boyfriend, it was like a fall fallback ex-boyfriend from before, you know. Yeah. So, so was to, this, did you meet her after you started 
doing designing or was that you started that after? Yeah, yeah. So I had already done it. Um and I wasn't making a whole lot of money. Um the and the whole reason that I moved to Arkansas is I went through a breakup and like the girl I was dating, I had a one year old baby with and they disappeared. Uh when I was I was out of town. I was gonna go to Branson and plan my first show, look for a location. And I was working with Tim from landbody.com, Tim that bought it from Joey back in the day. And we were going to plan our first show in Branson. Um, We were going to, I think we were going to call it Sick Nick. And I ended up giving that name to Greg years later. But uh, when I got back home, our whole entire house was cleared out. My computer, my desk, and my chair was there. And I didn't even have my Alero no more because Corey, that was in severed ties with me back then, he had it in Georgia, and then that car ended up disappearing. But I was doing like a unibody drop and a, a small block motor swap, rear wheel drive conversion, all that kind of stuff. And uh, that car disappeared. Um, I mean, my whole life disappeared, dude. And I got real suicidal, uh, went through a lot of stuff. I moved back to Kansas City, uh, stayed with my mom, and I picked up poker. And I was playing poker at like, like different pool halls and stuff, you know, just trying to win a buck and stuff. And I got pretty good at it. And then I started playing online poker. So when I met Kina, I was making my living playing poker on poker stars and trying to build keg media and doing renderings and stuff. That's why you like Vegas so much. Yeah. Yeah. That's so I got uh, a tattoo right here, this hand right here. I actually won a seat to the world series of poker main event through poker stars playing five or six satellite tournaments that you had to win to get to the next one. And I won a seat to the world series of poker main event. I sold my seat and I used that money to hire, uh, attorneys and stuff like that. So I could try to find my, my child and, and sue for custody so I could at least see him and get joint custody and stuff. And, and, uh, you know, that ended up working itself out good. And, and I got to see him again for the, you know, growing up and everything but he i had found them they were down in houston so i mean they were far away from me and uh but yeah so so yeah i was i was pretty good at poker man and then you know after i met kena we used to go play like house games and stuff and go play at like bars and shit with people or pool halls whatever and she's like i'm good but she's she's really good she's I, really good at poker i can't even play go fish much less poker i couldn't tell you the first <laughs> thing about poker so yeah, I haven't played poker for years, though. It used to be whenever we would go to SEMA, the last night we were there, Keena would send me down to the poker room so I could win most of our money back that we blew. And and it worked. I did I did it every year for six, seven years probably. But uh, I eventually gave up playing poker. I think what did me in is I would play at the casinos here around Fort Smith area and right, right across the river in Oklahoma. And, dude, there's so many donkeys, dude. Like, I just... I just couldn't tolerate it no more. I just I gave up playing. So so back to when you started doing the the renderings. Do you remember the first rendering you ever got paid for? Oh. Not one that stands out that like that one put me on the map, or or is there an no. early one that, that you feel put you on the map? It, it would have been a car. I know that. I think the one that probably put me on the map is when I first rendered my Alero and it was like white and baby blue and had like a, like a 57 Chevy uh, chrome trim separating it with a wood grain and it it went into a flame at the end, the wood grain busted into a flame and had billets on it. I think bond speeds, like that was pretty sick. Like 
that got shared a lot, a lot of likes or, or what, I don't even know if there was likes back then, but it, it got a lot of attention. Um, but that's how the car was supposed to be, but you know, never, never happened. I don't even know what happened to that car. I've heard people say that they seen it in a junkyard or, you know, whatever, but I don't so, know. So with renderings taken off, like they were, I mean, was you doing several a week? Were you doing several a day? Like when um, you first took off, what? No. So, so I don't know. Like I remember Brant telling me years ago, oh, I can do a rendering in like four hours. And I'm like, man, how the hell does he do that? Like, cause it would take me dude, like a, like a whole day, sometimes a day and a half to do a rendering. And back then I think we were charging like a hundred, 150 bucks. And so you got to figure you're spending, you know, eight to 12 hours on something that you're making 150 bucks. You're literally making like 10, 12 bucks an hour. Which at the time, you're probably better than most jobs. Not the car business, though. Like when I was in the car business, bro, and I'm talking 20 plus years ago, I was making three, four, five thousand dollars a month. And that was big money back then. And, and, uh, but, you know, I was playing poker too. So, uh, online i was winning money on that i remember when poker stars got shut down that sucked because i had money in my account um but yeah I, I i was i was i was scraping you know like i was scraping to get by on on doing that but that's why i was playing poker and then uh see i never knew it just, yeah but i i would say i was busy enough to have one a day you know like like i was pretty busy and then um I mean, years went by, and then I met I met this kid. Uh, is after me and Kina, the year the year we had our son, uh, we moved to Fort Smith because that's where Kina's parents lived, and we wanted to be closer to them. And so we only had uh, one child together at the time. He was a year old. His name's Jackson. Um, we uh, moved up here, stayed with our parents, found a house pretty quick within a month or two, uh, rented a house, and and. Uh, I remember this kid used to always hit me up and show me his rendering work and ask for advice and stuff like that. And uh, his name was Brian Fields. And he, man, I think he was probably 16, 17 years old at the time. And I used to try to give him tips and I critique his work and stuff. And I thought, man, this kid's starting to get pretty good. I should, I should maybe see if he wants to work for me. And so Brian was my very first employee and I would just pay him by the rendering. I would send him jobs to do and he would do them and then I'd have to look at it and be like, ah, you need to fix this or change this or change yeah. this. And then I'd send him some business cards to do. And then like, it took him a while to get used to typesetting. Like he was just not real good at how to lay out text and stuff on a business card or too small. But, uh, you know, I'd show him the ropes and stuff and he got really good. And man, Brian, uh, I eventually relocated him to Arkansas and I remember he get a place and stuff. What's that? Houston? Yeah, he lived in Houston in Spring, Texas. Yep. And so he relocated to Arkansas. And uh, I think he worked for me for, man, I, I want to say like 12 or 13 years. I think like maybe he, 11. He actually did a couple of my renderings through. Yeah, through yeah. So, so for the longest time, when you would order a rendering from Keg Media, it would be Brian doing it because we got so busy. Like we had me, Brian. Um, we had Marcus who, who was yeah. in Dallas, but he, uh, he worked for us, you know, full time. And then, uh, we had another guy we hired part-time locally named Tony that did like logo stuff and some website stuff. Um, Brian taught himself web design. So he got real good with that. And, 
you know, just, you know, Brian helped me build the business. He really did. You know, I like Brian was a trustworthy person that I could leave and go on a vacation for two weeks and he'd run the whole business for me. Um, you know, we, we wouldn't get as many sales when I was gone because I was more of a the salesperson. Yeah. But he, he could make sure that we stayed on schedule and everything, you know, was getting done, you know, when it was supposed to be done. But, uh, you know, things change and, you know, we parted ways. You know, he wanted to go back to Houston and he moved back to Houston. I think he works with All Out Off-Road now yeah. um, doing graphic design and stuff for them. But I haven't talked to him for years. Uh, and then a few years back, a friend of mine, Antonio, uh, he was wanting to learn renderings. I didn't have time to teach him. So I just told him to get Photoshop and, and look at YouTube and learn. And, and, and I would help him along the way and he would do some and send them to me. I critique it. And then finally I, uh, went ahead and hired him. Uh, he worked with me right here in my office at the house. And, uh, cause before, when Brian was with me, we had a brick and mortar, we had a shop and everything. And right before COVID, after Brian Brian left, like in 2019, I think in 2020, uh, right before COVID, I shut the shop down and I bought a new house and it had like a really nice office in it. So I was like, "It's just me. I'll just work out of my home." And uh, so we did that. Uh, eventually, I hired Antonio, showed him a lot about renderings and stuff. Had him sign a non compete clause because you know I've been burned a few times, yeah. you know, doing that, but or not doing that. Um, and then just, I mean, I don't want to say nothing bad. It just didn't work out. You know what I'm saying? Tony was a cool dude. You know, people probably seen me and him together. It shows, you know, we were, we were always together. You know, I would say, I think it's been two or three years ago that he worked for me, but, uh, or no, maybe it was a year and a half ago, but you know, he'd go to SEMA with me and all that yeah. and, and help me at the booth and stuff. But, uh, we did some SEMA builds for him. He he actually was a client of mine first. You know, I did SEMA build management for him. And, and uh, you know, he works at a local shop now, Camber Customs. And, um, yeah, we just don't really talk anymore. I've made a lot of changes in life, man. I've made my circle a whole lot smaller. Sometimes the, the smaller the circle is, you know, it's it's a tighter circle. You, you don't have to, you know, stress as much. Yeah, you know, Kina's like, she was always like the grudge holder between me and her. And I was more of a forgiving person. I'd let people walk over me and stuff like that. And and finally, I just had enough. You know what I'm saying? Like, no more, no more bullshit. You know, if you, if you mess around, I'm just cutting you off. I'm done, you know, and, and not to say that that's a big deal for Robbie to cut somebody off, you know, because it's not. But, you know, I, I don't want to put my time and effort into somebody that's not giving me the same in return. Thousand percent true. I'm, I feel feel the same thing there. So, do you not yeah. you not had any of your kids show any interest in graphic design or want to take that up, or do you not want them to go that route? Route. Uh, I mean, dude, I would love them to because I have a business that I could easily hand over to them. Um, but you know, my kids have grown up around custom trucks, so one of the coolest things that they think is when we buy a stock vehicle. They think that that's the neatest thing is is a stock vehicle not a big lifted truck because you know they've been around me with all the lifted trucks i haven't really had many bag trucks around them um i had my uh my audi you know for a while but uh and then i bought that uh i had a jaguar f type for a while but it was stock it was just pretty decently fast and then i bought that uh that mercedes amg gt coupe yeah so that that's all they know is like custom vehicles or fast sports cars but uh 
like Kena's got a, a stock brand new uh, Suburban RST. It's like all murdered out. Like they just love it. How, ma- how many wheels has she to get in. Yet? That's the question. How many what? Wheels has she curbed yet? None yet, man. None <laughs> yet. Ain't hit no mailboxes yet. Ain't hit no curbs. She's rough on she's rough on wheels, man. And you know what's crazy is her Jeep that we did for her this year. It's got twenty eight by sixteens. And I mean, dude, when we were driving and I was driving behind her, that thing looks like a roller skate. It is so wide. And, you know, I made sure when we got it back, I'm like, hey, you can't go through drive throughs You can't go through the bank. Uh, no Chick-fil-A's, no Starbucks, you know, like you got to park and get out and walk in. And and when you park at a store, park way out. Don't try to squeeze in between cars. <laughs> and uh, but I mean, she's, she's a pretty good driver, though. She just she bangs some wheels here and there. Yep, mine's the same. And I always joke all the vehicles I detail, I can make one walk around it and tell if it's a female owned or a male owned. If there's one plus curbed wheels, it's a female owned vehicle. Every oh, yeah. vehicle I've done, I think except for one that was brand new that I've detailed has had curbed wheels on if it's a females. <laughs> That's funny. So yeah. that must just be where it's at. Well are you are you gonna try to like guide the kids at all? Like say, hey, if you you know, if you Well like like my daughter is really really good artist she draws uh a lot of like caricatures and stuff like like they look like brats or something to me like brats dolls um but she designs clothing and so she'll like draw something and then she'll cut it out of paper she'll use paper towels and she'll dress her barbies up with all this clothing that she's made out of like i mean sometimes she'll even like take one of our towels or one of her shirts and like just tear it up. But ever since she was little, like she's always done different stuff with her clothes. Like I think she could be maybe a fashion designer someday. Um, But my other kids, they're just not into it, dude. They're, they're like into video games. I have my middle child, Keaton. He's probably the most like me. He's pretty bossy and kind of bosses the other kids around, but he's the most helpful at home, feeds the dogs, helps pick up, helps me carry stuff, helps with the yard. Um, whenever the kids need food, he's the one with the food app on his, uh, phone. So I don't know. He's kind of like the boss kid, I guess, but my kids, dude, every one of them, all four of them are so different. My oldest son, Jackson, he's 16. Um, he's, uh, more of a recluse, you know, he don't like to be around a lot of people. Don't like people in his room. Um, you know, my daughter, she's flamboyant. She's like Kena. Uh, never met a stranger. My son Hudson loves football, loves going to football games with me. He plays little league football. And then uh Keaton, he's a good student. Uh and but they're all like gamers. They all like video games. But uh that's about the only thing they have in common is they all like playing video games. I'll warn you, I know your daughter's into cheerleading and stuff. Mine cheered for twenty years. That if she likes it, plan to spend money. Yeah. Oh, dude, it's already costing a bunch. Like, because she goes to this school for for it, and then she was cheerleading at school, right? But then she's no longer cheerleading at school because she's in a private school and they don't have football and cheerleading. But she was cheerleading at school, and then she was also cheerleading like a private thing where they travel cheer. All star. And, yep. uh, yeah, so that's expensive of, of itself, just paying the tuition and then like all the traveling and the hotels and all that kind of stuff. And, done and then the life. outfits and the snacks and like you got to buy something for every kid. And 
Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I don't, to be honest, I don't even know our finances, bro. I just <laughs> make the best. money and Kina pays all the bills. Like <laughs> That might be best. Yeah. Um, if, if we're starting to get close to broke, then she'll tell me how you need to make some money. <laughs> that's, that's about it. So what, what got you into doing stuff for SEMA? Like what, had you gone before and then said, Hey, I want to build something or. No, so I was designing, you remember uh, Hal from Godfather customs. Yeah. So he was a great client of mine, him and Rick bottom from Rick bottom motorsports. And they would have me do renderings for them and they would submit for these dollar program vehicles and they would get them. Do they even still do the that? renderings? The dollar program? Do, what? do they even still do the dollar program? I don't think, I don't think they do, man. I never have anybody ask about renderings for them. I think they quit that years ago, but, uh, they that would get them and dream like I want to. I'd love to get one of these dollar programs. Oh, dude, I used to. I used to think, oh, I should be able to get one of those. You know, that, that seems easy, but you know, just because I was doing the renderings for them. But the crazy thing is, is like they were winning like GM Design Awards with these builds and Ford Design Awards. And the craziest thing was how every time Hal would order a rendering, he would order it twice. He would say, "Do one like this, then do one like you would do if it was yours." And almost every time he did that, that's the one that Ford or GM would pick. And that's the one they would win the design award with. So and, what people, if if you don't know the, the dollar program, like you'd, you'd have to submit a proposal and a render and everything to Ford or GM or whatever, say it was Ford and you wanted to build yeah. an F-150, you'd have to submit all the paperwork and all that to them. And you could buy the vehicle for a dollar. They couldn't give you the vehicle just tax wise and stuff, but you would buy that vehicle for a dollar and you had what a year and a half to, to keep. Yeah. Didn't, didn't they have no titles or something too? Yeah. And you, you'd keep them after, you know, at the end of the time, but you had to keep, what was it a million dollars worth of insurance on it? Yeah, it was crazy. There was a lot of stipulations to it and, that's why you've seen the same guys building them over and over again, right, you know, yeah. every year. I mean, obviously they had that relationship with Ford and GM and stuff, but yeah, it was the same guys all the time. But so, so Hal and Rick would always invite me to SEMA and I'm like, ah, oh, man, I don't have time to do that. You know, blah, blah, blah. And it was, it was really, I didn't have the money to go to, I'd never been to Vegas at the time. So I, I thought it was super expensive to go there. I didn't know you could stay and eat pretty cheap. Well, you used to, not no more. Not so yeah the weekend uh, team of hotels are like 29 dollars a night dude it's crazy yeah um so finally i decided uh well i didn't even decide i was going to do a sema build yet but i bought a ram truck a new half ton two-wheel drive ram truck a 2009 model so when they first changed that body style to that and we started building it and the shop Arkansas Customs that was building it for me. His name was Ryan Robertson. Yep. He told me that I could squeeze these 38s on it on this CST lift. Like, I think it was a seven and a half plus a body or something. Or, no, it wasn't even a body lift. I don't know. But he thought we could squeeze these tires under it and they rubbed like crazy. So my only option was go to smaller tires for a bigger lift. Well, it was a two wheel drive and the only body that was making a big lift was third coast customs bnc off-road is what they went by and so i did a 16 inch lift with a three inch body uh i met this guy named ed williamson that was a not was a great painter is a great painter the guy's one of the most talented painters i've ever met um and i created this rendering 
for Headhunter. That was my first build. Well, first, and I was in Aftermath at the time, and at first it was going to be bag because it was two-wheel drive when I did the rendering and all the graphics and stuff. Oh, really? And airbrushing. And then oh, I yeah. decided to lift it. So so I actually have a, a rendering of that somewhere of it bagged. It was pretty cool looking. But I decided to lift it, and we did 40s and uh, 22s, I think, is what was the big wheel. T- or No, 20. 20 by 12s or maybe 14s. But anyway, so we wanted to do a SEMA build. We built that truck. Me, Chris Carroll, a bunch of friends, Ed Williamson. Um, a couple different uh, painters came in and helped. Uh, a guy named Joe. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember everybody that that came, but uh, yeah, we had probably 13 of us, and we built that thing in about 26 days after we got it back from the lift. And uh, dude, it was it was nuts. I mean, even the lift was airbrushed, you know. So we had to airbrush the lift and and paint it and do all the airbrushing. We had fiberglass on the inside, so a lot of that got airbrushed. Um, but we did that truck. Uh, the crazy thing was is, is Truck and Magazine had a truck and corral in back of Central Hall. And oh, yeah. I don't think you could ever pull this off now, but I showed up at on Tuesday, which is when SEMA starts. I showed up on Tuesday at about 4.30 in the morning because we were so late leaving. And then had some issues getting out there, and I just pulled it in, like pulled it in. Uh, what year was it? I think it was Dan, uh, 2010. Yeah, Dan Ward was a man at the time. I worked for Dan uh, several years as a, yeah. as a freelancer. Yeah, Dan and Maxwell, and uh, but there was another guy back then too. He went off to work for Hot Rod, uh, tall guy. Um, Rob? No, no. Damn, can't remember his name. He was super cool, but he, went off Dan, like, he was like a feature editor. Then he got bumped up to like associate, and then he was editor for years. Dan actually gave me my first cover. Yeah, that's who gave me my first cover. So I mean, anyway, this truck shot, first cover I'd shot. He's the one that. Oh, okay, yeah. So me. this truck ended up on the cover of Truck and Magazine, and I remember, dude, going out to the dry lake beds, and it was cold as shit, and it didn't matter, dude, because it was so surreal to be out there. And know that this is where all these badass truck cover trucks were shot. Yep. Because year, for years, dude, I had an idol, a major idol in the industry named Craig Elder. And I wanted to be just like Craig Elder. That dude had bag trucks. He had lifted trucks, custom painted stuff. Matching on trailers. covers. Yeah, on covers galore, dude. And I thought, man, if I could just get a picture in a magazine, you know, but this dude's freaking amazing. And he what's so crazy, the, dude. He dominated the scene for several years. Yeah, yeah, he did. Orange, yellow, whatever. Everything he had stood out on the on the covers. Yeah. And then Headhunter got on the cover, and it really got a lot of attention for me and got, got me invited back to SEMA. I took it back the next year. Uh, and then every year after that, everything I built ended up on the cover of a magazine. Who shot the person? Set, the first one? Yeah. Dan. Dan, Dan shot. Shot. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, every everything I built for the next seven or eight years ended up on the cover. Me and Keena were actually the first husband and wife combo that had back to back months of cover vehicles. Like it was hers and mine or mine than hers. But uh I remember them being on newsstand. Escalade? 
Yeah, her purple Escalade. Yeah, yeah. And you had. And I had the. I think a brown dually. That recluse dually. Oh, yeah, I think yeah. is what I had then. Yeah, but they were back to back covers. Um, and then uh, I think I was the first person to ever have a rendering on the cover of a magazine. Um, we ended up doing a build for that Ryan Robertson guy uh, from Arkansas Customs, and uh, they did a, a matching airbrushed bagger motorcycle, big wheel bagger. And that was on the cover of Truck and Magazine with the truck. It was like one of the first times a motorcycle had been on the cover of Truck and Magazine. But yeah, because he um, was in the South Hall lobby in fourteen. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. That was a year I had my blue truck there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because for years I had that top of the escalator spot with undercover. Yep. Um, it, like, geez, it had to be four or five years straight, maybe more than that. But every year, if you wanted to know where my truck was, my personal truck, it was at the top of the escalator. And, Dude, that was such a prime spot, dude. Like back then, if I called a company to try to get a sponsorship and I told them my location, it was like, yeah, yeah, where, what's your address? <laughs> like it was such a good location, man. And now you mentioned undercover. Like you played a big role in me doing anything for SEMA. When I first started wanting to do, do stuff, you're like, hey, man, you know, like we were friends. You're like, well, let me let me link you with this guy. You link me with Third Coast. Like it just kind of, I would say you helped put my foot in that SEMA door. I yeah. said I wanted to do it kind of jokingly, like, hey, let's build one. I can do some tech articles on some installs. And it just, it snowballed. And, and you know, at the time you were starting to do the the build management stuff that we'll get into, but you were mm-hmm. starting to do that. But you're like, hey, you know, your friend of mine, let me just make this couple phone calls. And you single-handedly got me started in that. And then once that ball started rolling, like it's not stopped. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's, it's a, an addiction, man building these vehicles and stuff. I, at one time I was building three personal vehicles a year for SEMA plus doing build management, but like I would have two to three a year that were my own vehicles. It's hard enough with one. And that, that one year I took my buddy's truck and then we refreshed the wife Subaru. That alone was hard enough trying to make sure both of them were right. You got parts showing up the day you're supposed to leave. And mm-hmm. just that, that makes it tough. So how, how many years have you had personal vehicles in SEMA? So it started in or in 2010? 2010 was my first year of having a SEMA build. And I've had, I've had one every since then, except for 2020 when it was canceled. Yeah. And then not this year, but 2022, I did not do a personal build. I just wanted to go to SEMA and just experience SEMA without having my own build, without having to pull it in. Um, I think I did have a booth though. Yeah, I did have a booth because I had Frank Bros Bronco in my booth, but I didn't have a personal vehicle, so I didn't have to deal with detailing or magazine shoots or or photo shoots or videos or nothing. And, and that's the thing that people that's not done the SEMA stuff, uh, which is something I guess the you know the podcast will help people see. Like like oh, it's a dream I want to go, but what they don't see is the headache of the part showing up the day it, it leaves. You know, you've got to ship it or drive it or, or haul it yourself. And you've got the cleaning, yeah. like I said, the photo shoots and video shoots. Like, it's not just you buy a vehicle and get all these free parts thrown at you. There's a lot of commitment on the back end to make that happen. Yeah, there's not even a whole lot of free parts stuff anymore. Uh, you know, if if you can't offer more, then because back in the day, dude, when I used to get guaranteed covers based off of a rendering and I could tell the customer because Dan used to write me you know, uh, letter of guaranteed intent. letter, letter of intent is what they were called. Yeah. And I would have my nice proposal and I'd have a letter of intent. 
and it was it was like a cakewalk. But when magazines started going bye bye, and we lost mini trucking, and we lost trucking and sport truck, and you know, I think street trucks all we got left. You know, um, I mean, just things started changing. Uh, it wasn't about the magazines anymore. Just like show coverage, you know, used to love to see your vehicle in show coverage, yeah. and then everybody started shooting online. You know, layandbody.com was one of the first ones. It was like the go-to place for show coverage. SoCalCustoms.com. Yeah. So, oh yeah, Brian, SoCal yep. Customs. Yeah. Actually, I think he was first. Um, but yeah, they had such great show coverage. Like it didn't even matter because by the time the magazine came out, the show had done, came and went, you know, two, three months prior. And you've already seen all the show coverage. It was still cool to see your your vehicle in a magazine and show coverage. But, you know, now that all that's gone, it's all about, how many followers do you have? How many social media channels are you on? You know, like what type of return on investment can you provide that way? And then, you know, like I built up my Instagram pretty big. You know, I was like 120 some thousand followers there for a while. I think we're down to like 114 now, but um, like I, I got to where I started buying ads on Instagram to advertise our shows, uh, like all of our custom car shows and yeah. truck shows. And ever since then, like I get less likes, I get less views video on videos. Like it's almost like Instagram's like, oh, this guy will pay. Screw him. We're not gonna let like we're not gonna let his audience see his stuff unless he's paying for it. Like, dude, it's 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 crazy. So what got you into doing build management? And and I guess explain first off for people who don't know what is build management. Like how does so build management is is like a partnership that you are you're almost paying someone like like I do a contract and you're paying me to show you how to do what I did, but do it for you. You know what I'm saying? So like like I connect you with all my partners and sponsors, or if there's somebody that you want that I don't already work with, then I contact their marketing director and I try to get you guys hooked up. But I with my build management, like I handle all the contracts, I fill them all out. Um, I do all the paperwork. Uh, I do the rendering. I design it. I work with the client. Uh, I find placement at SEMA for their vehicle. Uh, I set up the photo shoots with normally Del Martin, set up video shoots. Uh, if we can get in a magazine, I'll get that set up. Um, I help them with show schedule on you know what shows they need to attend. Uh, help get them in booths at different shows, you know, with their sponsors. Um, just a lot of that. And it's, a, you know, for the longest time, build management became a thing because when people were getting sponsored for SEMA, there was a heyday for it. You know, there was a time when almost anybody could get sponsored. And uh, a lot of companies got burned. There was a lot of people not getting their photo shoots, not turning photo shoots over just disappearing, just being a ghost, you know, not yeah. posting on social media. And so the build management thing came in because companies trusted me because I did what I said I was going to do. And so if I had, record. yeah, so if I had five or 10 or 15 other builds, they knew that they could trust that those builds would get publicity as well. Um, I've had 37 magazine covers, but they're not all my personal trucks. So I've gotten so many of my clients' builds on covers of magazines. I've probably had close to a hundred features. Um, I think we've had over 200 builds at SEMA since 2010 that wow. we were a part of. Um, but, you know, that was a good track record. You know, it's like, I wouldn't say I became my idol, but, you know, when talking about Craig Elder, but 
I, I did accomplish a lot of magazine covers like Craig accomplished um, and did a lot of cool stuff, you know, like he did. And, and I knew that I had people like I was looking up to him. I knew I had people looking up to me because like there for a while, man, people would meet me at a show. I wouldn't even be wearing something that said keg media. I hardly ever wear anything that says keg media on it. And people would want to take their picture with me or something. And I thought, I thought that was the weirdest shit, you know, <laughs> that somebody would, you? yeah, <laughs> but we were friends. We knew each other for a long time, but, um, I mean, people would want me to sign like some of the covers of the magazines that my vehicles were on or like, and it was so crazy because somebody wanted to check out my build, dude, I'd throw them the keys and tell them to go drive it. They would like freak out that I would like even consider letting somebody, but I just never looked at myself as anything other than Robbie Bryant and, you know, dude, I got lucky. You know what I'm saying? And and I ain't no different from nobody else. As a friend, it's cool to see you start the company, the company grow and change, and then it becomes as big as it became, you know, with the employees and the amount of work you were turning out. Then it into the the SEMA stuff. I remember in thirteen you had your red and black Silverado, which is mm-hmm. one of the reasons I picked a Silverado to build, because that truck, I was like, wow, that that's cool. We're like Robbie, Robbie really did that. I'm impressed with it. And that yeah, was one of the reasons. That, my that truck I called that. a trilogy because I knew that was going to be my third truck and magazine cover. So I called it trilogy. Oh, that's what that meant. I remember it being called trilogy. Yeah. You had that's Headhunter, and it. then what was after Headhunter? Headhunter, And then encore. I called my second Ford. truck encore. Yeah, yeah. That was a big blue Ford on uh 46 inch Mickey's. And I called it Encore because it was my Encore to Headhunter is my my next act. And then Trilogy, I called Trilogy because it was my third. Well, then what was your fourth one? Did it not fall in line? No, it was uh, it was an it was that airbrushed uh, Tundra that like 2010 Tundra that got totaled right after I sold it. Yeah, yeah, that was I don't remember what I called that thing. What's well, like my project decade was my first SEMA build because I'd sold my last quote show vehicle in 04 and I built that truck. Oh yeah. It had been a decade since you did. Yeah. I mean, everything I'd owned had always been modified, whether it's tent wheels, whatever, but nothing was a show vehicle. Cause I was focusing on Pharrell images. I was focusing on, you know, I'd see how many features I could shoot on a weekend and that kind of stuff for the magazines. Like that was my goals. And, and, you know, 2014 when i built that you know what? decade do you remember that i remember those little baby bags you used to have on that crx yeah from a uh, uh, hack shack yeah do you remember who bought those no oh that is right because yeah. i switched i bought them for the, when, when i worked for big luke i bought them to put on that little bitty blue uh hatchback civic i had because i went from those to the to the cylinders yeah that wrote yeah. like ass but <laughs> we thought they were cool back then i know you used to be able to suck up that tire up in it yeah, with the cylinders because i had both the rear at the bottom the exit <clears throat> port or whatever had uh it like dumped the air and suck it in dog leg so i, I think mm-hmm. i was like the first on the east coast to be able to do that like i remember yeah, that yeah. was <sighs> yeah i remember when i did the Lara and we put juice on it i wanted to make sure that i could do that because i thought that was the coolest thing and if you look back, that was almost the little stuff like that was innovative to, to us back then. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's the industry's changed so much to, you know, there, there's more out there. It's not, you don't look so different when you've got a part on it because 37 other people at the same show have that same part. Right. Yeah. So what, 
what was your favorite SEMA build, personal SEMA vehicle that you've done? Man, I would say probably my favorite was, man, probably Bubble Butt. That uh, dually, it was a Phantom it dually. was a Phantom dually single cab Ram uh, with a five seven Pro charged, uh, deep deep lip fifteen or sixteen wide out back. Um, I that never disappeared pretty much, didn't it? Yeah, because somebody came to my booth while I wasn't in the booth, and they wanted to buy it, and then they came back. And they had a translator with him. It was an Asian guy, and he had a translator with him. And, uh, dude, I I knocked him over the head on that thing. Like, I, I hit him so high because I didn't want to sell it. And uh, he said okay and bought it. But then it and I told him, I said, out. no, it, it, dude, you know what they did with that build? Like, they owned a like a muffler shop in Seattle or something like that, and all they would do was pull it in and out each day, and it was set out by the road. And uh, I remember they hit me up like a couple years later, asked me if I wanted to buy it back. And I told them I'd give them like 25 grand, which was not even close to what they bought it for. But uh, somebody hit it with a baseball bat on the hood. And uh, I was like, yeah, I don't need it, but I'll give you 25 grand, you know, if you're really needing to get rid of it. And um, But yeah, that was, that was one of my favorites, man. Um, but my favorite truck I ever built, it was a SEMA build, but I kept the longest was... Uh, was my black truck, uh, my black dually, uh, 350 Super Duty dually all murdered out. Yeah. Um, I had a sport chassis, Freightliner sport chassis that we used to haul stuff around the shows, and I got rid of that and bought that dually because it would just set, you know, if you're not hauling to shows, it just sets around. And so I bought that dually thinking, well, I can daily drive this. And, dude, that, that son of a gun was so clean, dude. I freaking loved that truck. It was tuned and deleted and just a freaking beast, bro, and pulled like crazy. And, I what had that built crazy like, lifted. like three years. No, it had a five to six inch Kelderman. So it was a great daily driver. Um, it was still pretty good size. It had 37 inch Furies on it. Uh, 26 inch American force wheels. Um, Aaliyah leather. I mean, it was Kelderman bumpers, rigid lights. It was just, it was just like nice, you know, like super nice. And, uh, Man, I freaking love that thing. After I got rid of it, I was kind of sad. That's kind of like me with Project Stockish. It's like it check. It may not be the most crazy custom thing I've owned, but it checks the boxes to hop in it and drive. I mean, I drove it to SEMA and back. I'm driving it to yeah. LFP, So That Jeep we did um, with uh, uh, Tim Dunaway, uh, Dunaway Garage, I think is what he goes by. But uh, me and this guy, Tim Dunaway, we became pretty close, really good friends. Um, he went, he bought Kena's Tundra. We had that wide body Tundra, the lifted teal yeah. one that was wrapped. He bought it, and then I designed uh, an F one fifty that Five R Trucks built for me. It was a truck and cover truck too, and I designed it and released the rendering. And Tim bought it based off the rendering, and wanted to go through the build process with me and add extra things like audio and stuff. But it was his, you know. I made him put a ten grand deposit on it, and then he bought it after SEMA. Um, but he decided he wanted to get into doing a SEMA build. Um, but he didn't want nobody to know who he was at the time. And so that wide body Mustang we did, yeah. that uh, pre-runner, new body style uh, Nissan Titan XD, the very first one, and the Arctic Frog. 
was all me and Tim together. Um, and so a lot of people thought those were my vehicles because I thought they like, were. Yeah, like, well, I would tell people I have a partner. I would just never name him because he didn't want to be out there. Yeah. Well, then after that, um, he decided he wanted to just murder it and come out and just do something heavy hitting, Ligma. no budget. And he did that Ligma truck. And, and I came up with the name. Beautiful Fords ever built. Yeah. It, it won. Um, so me and him with it, we won. Uh, I mean, really him. It was his truck. But. I mean, Tim always made me feel we were partners. You know what I'm saying? He yeah. he always told people I was his partner and, and, and gave Keg credit and, and vice versa. You know, once he wanted to be known, I told people, you know, who he was and, and all that. And so uh, we did that Ligma truck, and he spared no expense on that thing. The moment he bought it, uh, we had it painted grabber blue, so a Ford color. Even painted the underbelly of it. It was on a rotisserie. I mean, had a plan B lift on it. Like, dude, that truck was so badass. Um, there wasn't nothing that could touch it. And we won, um, oh, Amsoil truck, best truck at SEMA or something that American year with it. Forces booth, wasn't it outside? Yeah, yeah, it was an American Forces booth. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, Tim went on to do some other builds on his own. And, and you know, I went on to do my thing. And, and uh, you know, we parted ways, but... I think he's still doing some stuff here and there under Dunaway Garage, but um, yeah, cool dude, man. That was a cool part. That was a cool, uh, cool few years in, in my my history with Keg. Uh, you know, cool dude to be around. Uh, I never been around somebody that had like fu money. You <laughs> know, I mean, I guess I have. I got friends that got fu money, but I'd never been around that kind of fu money to where it's just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. You know, like, oh, you know, like. Oh, it's going to cost 30 grand to paint it. Cool. Let's do it. You know, like yeah. it's just, you know, he's, he's a cool dude, man. You know, I always say with this industry, you never know who you're going to walk into. You may meet one, you know, some guy that's starting out like you doing renderings. And the next thing you know, they're, you know, a, a who's who, like you never know who someone yeah. is when you first meet. Them. <laughs> yeah. That was probably the, the, the highlight, like around the time that I knew Tim, that be right before I met him is when we were really getting to the mountaintop right and then we met tim and it just like catapulted it more because that arctic frog truck or jeep was badass that mustang was badass you know everything me and tim touched was just badass and uh you know we had a great partnership there and then um after that uh you know then brian moved back home uh we no longer worked together and i just wanted i was more focused on throwing events which we haven't even got into that but like i was more focused on my events that i throw and didn't want to do renderings as much anymore uh still did them and and we still do we do 3d i have a guy that works with me that does our renderings um very 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 good person um but uh you know my focus more was on build management and our events and not so much graphic design but i still would do graphic design for people that ask you know and, and it's not like to this day, I'm I'm not quitting graphic design. You know, I'm just, I just don't push it as heavy as, as I used to. You we're just redirect busy. your focus. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I figured out that I was a pretty good show promoter and, and throw some pretty good events. And, you know, uh, thankful for that to my buddy, Greg Miller, who, you know, God rest his, yeah. his soul had passed away some years back. But, you know, everything I know about show promoting, I learned from Greg Miller. And, uh, 
that dude, I think, was one of the, besides Lonnie and Radar, I think he was one of the best show promoters I've ever met in my life. What was the show that you did I flew out to to cover? Slam, oh, Slammy Reunion. Yeah, Slammy Reunion. That was my first show I ever started. And the funny thing about it is, is Greg Miller and BJ Mills, they were going to start a new show and they posted they needed a name. And they were going to give you a free entry. And I hit them up and I said, hey, I got some really killer names, uh, but I'm looking, I would like to be a partner. So I was dealing with BJ. And, you know, I, I had done Scraping the Coast flyers and artwork for years prior yeah. to this, right? So I worked with Greg for three, four years um, prior to this. And uh, BJ, I met him because he had uh, kidney dialysis and was kidney transplant list. And and he was going to do a show. And Greg uh, asked me if I would do some free stuff for BJ to get him started, you know? And I did. I agreed. I met BJ, became a good friend with him. Yeah. Um, and Greg and BJ used to be like best friends. And so, uh, uh, BJ said I could be their partner. Well, I did the logo and I did some flyers and stuff. And then all of a sudden Greg, because he had so many partners with scraping, told BJ he just wanted it to be them two. So BJ broke the news to me. Well, I was pissed because I already did the logo, did the flyers. And I was like, well, you guys are going to have to pay for that. So I sent him a bill and then Greg was pissed <laughs> and I was pissed. So it was like, Man, fuck Greg Miller. I'll do my own show. So I started Slamily Reunion. Well, I had gave them the name Sick Nick. That was my freaking name. And so I let them keep that. I started Slamily Reunion. And Greg was trying, me and Greg were beefing for a while, dude. And he was going to start this show called Relaxing in Jackson in Mississippi. And he posted on Street Source the same dates that I was doing Slamler Union. So he was just digging. You know how Greg yeah, Miller yeah. was. Boy, he could dig at you. And, you know, I said, you know what? Fuck you, Greg Miller. I'm not going to do Scraping the Coast artwork no more. Fuck you. Go somewhere else. And uh, he was mad. So we were beefing back and forth. Then his partners would call me and be like, man, we really, you could just work with us. You don't have to deal with Greg. I was like, the only reason I, only way I'm doing it, y'all are paying extra. You know, so they paid extra that year. And then me and Greg eventually, you know, it didn't take long, but we, we became buddies again. And then like really close, you know, and y'all were real good friends for, for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, I did Slamly. Then I started lift a truck. I'd always ask him about stuff and he had always give me advice and stuff on shows. And then, uh, Craig Rowley approached me at scraping the coast one year and asked me if I'd be interested in starting a show with him at the battleship called uh, battle in Bama. And so I agreed, and we did that first year. Had like a monsoon come through there, dude. It was crazy, but uh, we didn't take a loss, so we were happy. That's all um, that matters. But we, yeah, we just uh, me and Craig never butted heads, but um, just our staffs didn't really yeah. work together well. You know, I had my staff that I'd been doing for years, and his staff was his wife and some friends and stuff, and they just it just didn't work out. So. I told uh, Craig I was going to walk away and he could just do Bama himself. And, and uh, um, from there, uh, I was actually at Greg Miller's house because uh, it was right after Battle of Bama. And I was at Greg Miller's house and he was like, dude, why don't me and you do a show together? We were supposed to do it years ago and I fucked up and I cut you out and, and you went off and did your thing. And he's like, why don't we do a show together? I got a place. And so I stayed the night there instead of coming home and we drove over to Orange Beach and he showed me the wharf. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah. I was like, this is the place. I was like, but we can't charge a spectator gate. There's no way we could gate this off. And what year was so it? So we decided. What's that? What year? 
Uh, God, seven, seven. I think this is our eighth year, I think. Of, so it'd be 16? Of that, so 2015, 16, yeah. somewhere around there. Yeah. Is the year after I started lifted truck, so it would have been 16. I started lifted truck in 15. And how does that um, feel like it's so long ago, but it's not? Yeah, I know, right? Like when you say seven or eight years ago, it sounds like a long time. But when you say 2015 or 16, last week. it doesn't sound like a long time. <laughs> yeah. But so I, uh, we needed a name and Kena came up with Orange Beach Invasion. And, uh, and so that name stuck. And so we ran the show the first year. It was freaking killer. The next year it was killer. The next year it was killer. And that laser light show that we have and the palm trees lit up and the smoke show and the music, it's all of it at night. It's just a party vibe. It's, it's a destination show. The hotel and the condos are right there on property. So you park your vehicle and never have to leave. There's restaurants, there's bars, there's shopping, like there's everything, you know, like there's, Nothing not there, you know, except the beach, which is five minutes down the road. But, um, you know, uh, I remember every year there's a thing called Marlin Circle. It's the Marlins where it's like metal Marlins where they do fish weighing and stuff during competitions. But that's where we have our awards presentation. And every year, me and Greg Miller, (coughs) we would meet at the circle um, before the show and discuss what we were going to do, our plans and everything. And then, uh, God damn, uh, Greg, after he passed, um, I, I still meet him at the circle every year and, and talk to him. Uh, give me a second. Now, after, after that, his daughter stepped up and, and started working with you quite a bit, didn't she? Yeah. So Lauren... And Tammy, they always were a big help uh, for the show. And so, I mean, I assume Lauren already knew what I was going to do, but I changed our paperwork to give her 50% ownership to give her her dad's part. You know, yeah. she deserved it. It was theirs. It, it was his estate anyway. It would have been, I mean, a shithead move for anybody to try to burn somebody like that. But it just never even crossed my mind. It was the first thing I thought of was, Hey, we got to get this paperwork changed. So you're my new partner. And so, uh, man, me and Lauren has, has built that to something me and Greg dreamed about. That's one like show I, I, that I've never make it or made it to. It's like, I, I couldn't, when I was at Pepsi, it was one of those things. Like it just kind of yeah didn't work for me. And it, I, every year I'm like, I'm going to go. And then something happens and I wind up not going. So I need, I need to get to it because the pictures and stuff are ridiculous and, yeah. Yeah. You know, I used to go to scraping the coast every year, you know, from the day I started doing their design work back in like 2006 or seven or something like that. But I haven't been since Greg was in the hospital. Um, I haven't been back since, you know, when he was still alive, but in the hospital, I didn't want to go. Cause I thought he was going to pass. Like a lot of people didn't know at the time when Greg was in the hospital that he had COVID or how bad he was, but like I knew, you know, and I I've been, I can't go. Yeah, it's a weird thing. That's a show I've never made it to either. It's I think because of the distance it is for me, and it was always the same yeah. weekend. Of- it's weird for me because every year that's where we would take my in laws. That's where we would take all my kids. We'd get a condo. We'd be there a week. You know, like we were always on the beach, and we'd stay after. We'd come early, and uh, I just I, I can't go back. It's just just one of them things, man. 
it, it's part of life. I mean, something that, you know, we never thought 20, 30 years ago that we'd all have to deal with this, but you know, of course we're all old with all our gray and stuff now. So, yeah, man, we lost a lot of good people that year, dude. Uh, Ernie, Ernie Macias and yep. uh, Alex and uh, Pickle and Greg. Uh, I'm sure there's others I'm not thinking of, but I mean, we lost some big names in the industry that year. Sure did. Sure did. What a yeah. your new adventure with shows though is the the overland stuff because you've started to dive into that pretty heavily. So yeah, well, my first newest thing was last year. I partnered up with uh, my buddy Josh from Max Diesel. Um, he, me, and him started a show called Summer Trucking Nationals. We rented Cowboy Stadium, um, and that's where we first dabbled into music. He's friend, really good friends with Bailey Zimmerman, and so Bailey's first concert was us at Summer oh, wow. Trucking Nationals. And uh, now Bailey's massive. You know, he's one of the fastest growing country artists out there. Um, but we did, uh, we rented uh, Cowboy Stadium, AT&T Stadium, through Summer Truck and Nationals. We had Bailey play. We had Chase Matthew play. Uh, a couple other guys uh, had a Hispanic concert on Friday night. Uh, dude, it was like 106 degrees with a heat index of like 122 or something. I so hearing that. Yes, we lost a bunch of money. Spectator Gate was down. The stadium was freaking terrible to work with you know um so we never had that show again but you know he was friends with some guys uh that have tailgate and tall boys with usa concerts and they came to see how we were mixing trucks and and music and they invited us to partner up with them with tailgate and tall boys max which is music festival and truck shows so our first one was bloomington in june last year and we had a uh, uh, nickelback kane brown bailey zimmerman uh, Jelly Roll, Laney Wilson, Parker McCollum, and 24 other artists. And we had about three or 400 trucks because we didn't have room for a bunch of trucks. But uh, So we do that. We do some of the music festival truck show things now under the Tailgate and Tall Boys Max name. Uh, my partner, Josh, and a couple other partners, Michael and Brad, on that. And then we partner with USA Concerts. But to so the Overland thing. So my plan, I bought two Jeeps to field for SEMA last year. One for Kena, one for me. My plan was, I've seen how big these Jeep events are. And I thought, I need to get in on that action. They're massive. And so I was going to build an Overland-style Jeep for me, more off-road, more capable, and then a, a beachy mall crawler Jeep for Kena with the wide American forces and DS-18, everything, yeah. you know? And so we did. And uh, uh, my plan was to go to a bunch of, uh, like, Jeep Beach and you know, all those different Jeep shows and, and start a Jeep show around the beach somewhere and start one in a wooded area somewhere. So they were total opposite. And my buddy, Chris Carroll, which is builder of the Smooster, um, I'd known him. I mean, we talked about it years when I ran Big Luke's shop, you know, I knew him before that even. So probably 25 years. Well, he is heavy, heavy into overlanding. Um, and he asked me if I'd be interested in doing an overland show. Um, Chris is a, you know, I'm a Christian, but uh, Chris is a real hardcore Christian now. Um, you know, he said he prayed about it. You know, he's out camping with a buddy. They're both Christians. They talked about it. They prayed about it. And he and he said that he was going to ask me. And if I said, no, I'm not interested, then it just wasn't meant to be. But if I said, yeah, I was interested, then that was his sign, you know. Yeah. And uh, I said, yeah, I, I, I would be interested. I'm building an Overland Gladiator right now for SEMA. I said, but I need you to break out of your shell and I need you to come to Lifted Truck Nationals. 
because I want you to see this venue I have because this is where I'd want to do it. And Chris is like a turtle now. You know what I'm saying? Like he's not about like being around a bunch of people no more and about going to shows. And Lift a Truck Nationals is pretty wild. And so it was, you know, he camped out. He brought another Overland buddy named Patrick and they camped out on the prairie away from where all the partying was going on. But I saw the dude, bar- seen our venue racing or whatever it was. The- yeah. So we did the downhill Barbie Jeep race. Now he did come down for that and watch that. And and I spent a lot of time with him. I was in a side by side. So him and Patrick rode around with me and I showed him the whole venue and everything. And we discussed it and uh, we decided, you know, we were going to do it. And uh, I came up with the name Overland of America. I thought, you know, funny thing, though, because, you know, for people that don't know, Keena, my wife, is a Disney freak. We live in Arkansas, and we were we are season pass holders. We go to Disney five, six, seven times, maybe eight a year. My wife we do stalks her page every time y'all go. What's new here? What's in? I, I'm ready to go back. Keena's back at Disney again. Yeah, we we were there Christmas. We were this just there last month, and we're leaving. Y'all were there a week before us. Yeah, we're leaving in two more weeks to go again. Yeah, we're going to be there, Mark. We were because it was cold when y'all were there, and it was hot and nice when we were there. Yeah, the very like a few days later, yep. it was like hot. It was freezing when I was there and rainy too. But um, I mean, you catch some of the good with some of the bad, I guess. But uh, anyway, so there's a ride there called Expedition Everest, right? Yep. And that always reminded me of like overlanding, just the sound of it. And so I thought Expedition Everest, Expedition America, uh, Overland expedition overland america then i was like that's it overland america but we got to put an of in it overland of america and so we called it overland of america um i put the word expo like as a descriptive down at the bottom and uh i think we did that in november or probably october because i talked to people about it in november at sema but a couple weeks ago we got a cease and desist from a big overland event i'm not gonna name names but we got a cease and desist about using the words overland and expo in our logo um because they own a trademark to it so obviously you can tell it's overland expo but uh <laughs> we, we i thought we could oh nobody else like just the people that listen yeah so i read the trademark and it said that they didn't didn't hold any right to the word expo by itself and i know expo is a descriptive um, but we, we sent off for our trademark for just Overland of America. Um, and so I talked to them, you know, after, you know, they got a threatened suit at first, you know, that's just the legality crap yeah. But uh, you know, I talked to them, they were really cool. We emailed a few times back and forth. I said, Hey, I don't really want to do an expo anyway. I don't want mine to be known as an expo. I want my event to be known as an experience. And so we're like, we're totally fine with dropping the expo name. Um, you know, I told them I would like get rid of some stickers we had made and some business cards and reprint them. And uh, they said I could keep my tent. Cause I dude, I just had a tent and flags and stuff printed or, or it was about to be printed before Chinese new year. Luckily I caught it and it's not going to have the word expo on it no more, but uh, they were cool enough to let me not change the tent until the next time I ordered one, which could have been a year. Um, but uh, pretty cool people, you know, um, I'm going to be at their event. You know, I'm going to attend one of their events. You know, I can't wait to go and see how, how theirs is. And, and I'm going to go to the Colorado one that's called Mountain West. But yeah, so ours, let me talk about ours, not theirs. So ours is Overland of America. Um, it is in Jay, Oklahoma at Mid-America Outdoors. It's the same place I hold Lifted Truck Nationals. And it is one week after Lifted Truck Nationals. 
So if I'm not a glutton for punishment, I'm going to do two shows back to back weekends. And, uh, I'm pretty sure I can pull it off though, because it's two totally different crowds. Like it's not even the same. Um, I'll have a few vendors that'll lay over from lifted truck, but not very many at all. Um, but you know, it's all about camping. And, and the whole reason I really decided to do it is Chris took me out overlanding. Like for those that don't know, I'm in Arkansas. I live in Fort Smith, which is considered the river Valley. So on one side of us, we have the Wachita national forest. The other side is the Ozark National Forest. So there is so many waterfalls and and creeks and trails and just Arkansas is freaking beautiful. Um, so we went out on some trails in the Ozarks and and camped. You know, I, I slept in a hammock. Uh, you know, it was pretty cool. You know, he got to sleep in his rooftop tent, but I slept in a hammock. So you lost. I was going to sleep in a ground tent, but he forgot the ground uh, <laughs> zip part, the floor. And I'm like, hell no, dude, I don't like snakes. What if a fucking snake crawls up in this bitch with me, you know? And, and uh, Sorry about cussing. I don't know if we can cuss on this, this or not, fine. but this you, you, you never gave me no rules, bro. <laughs> never gave me rules. Um, so uh, we went out camping. It was a lot of fun. Just the cooking and the self-sufficiency of it. Um, I grew up camping and, and, and not hunting, but camping, fishing, boating, things like that down around the Lake of the Ozarks and Warsaw and Truman Lake and stuff and it just kind of brought me back to my childhood and man, I just thought it was fun and it's just so relaxing and, and looking at Overland events, I'm like, man, these Overland events are all about the vendors and the campers. You know, it's not about burnouts and this and craziness and, and flashy lights and who's got the biggest pocketbook, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like a lot of these guys spend big money, but there's like a lot of budget Overlanders out there too. You would be amazed how many mini truckers are actually overlanders really like y'all dude like i know of like five or six just in the arkansas area that are heavy into overland like paul monroe are you don't um, mean taking mini trucks overland you mean that they they're into mini trucks but now overland yeah yeah they were mini truckers and now they're overlanders yeah 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 i know like probably five or six of them you know just i mean chris was a mini trucker i mean he built one of the most iconic minis out there with smooster i mean that's that that truck like I, re- I remember, like, my favorite truck ever is, uh, I can't remember her name, but it was that pink square body S10 with the orange flames out of Florida. Janie, the one uh, that, uh, Jimmy built. Yeah, yeah. She had passed away some years back. Yeah. Um, that was my favorite mini truck God. ever freaking built. And, uh, you know, to me, that's an iconic truck. But to see people talk about Chris's Smooster truck, like, that's, I think that's became one of those memorable, iconic mini trucks, that you know? front end was just totally different on it. Yeah, I came up with that idea. Now, uh, with the, who was it? Alamo Customs did the new Silverado that basically has the same front end wraparound billet like that. So yeah, well, you know, on a Jimmy, uh, on a uh, the GMC version, Sonoma. Uh, it wasn't a Jimmy, but the GMC Sonoma. It had humps on the side and a smooth in the center, and the S10 had the crease in the center and smooth on the sides. Yeah. So we cut those two hoods and put that together to have that one smooth hood. And then we continued it all the way around. And I got the name Smooster from, uh, was it Boyd Coddington did a ride called Smooster years ago? Yeah. Yeah. That's how we came up with the name for that. So, but yeah, man, this Overland event's freaking awesome. Um, we have signed on some big companies that I never even realized I'd be working with. Have you ever seen that company called Shift Pod? They make these ground tents 
and they look like they belong on the moon. They're like silver reflective material. They're they're like sixteen hundred dollars a piece. They're freaking awesome. Like you don't use poles or anything. You just pull these things and pull the sides out, and it just pops right up. But they got round windows in them. They literally look like a lunar landing tent that you would have. Uh, it's called Shift Pod. They've came on as our title sponsor. Um, we've hired uh, Differential Communications as our PR firm. Uh, I've never done that before with an event where I hired a PR firm or a marketing firm. I always did it myself. But uh, uh, Diffcoms is short for Differential Communications, but they worked with uh, the other big events for the past two and a half years as their PR firm. And they're no longer working together. And, and I was introduced to them. So I was like, yeah, like, yeah, come come join us. You know, So we contracted with them for our first year. And uh, our first press release is about to drop uh, in 10 more days, the 26th. Um, so right after their LST. job is to... What's that? Right after LST. Yeah. So their job is to get us like write-ups from different journalists in like Car and Driver, Men's Journal... Uh, New York Times, you know, but like online, you know, um, you know, outside magazine or outdoors, you know, just different things that have to do with what, you know, men and outdoors and all that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. Well, I know I got you hooked up with the tread, you know, which fits that whole demographic. Yeah. 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 Cause uh, I'm pretty sure tread is going to shoot my gladiator once I say, okay, I'm finished, you know, but it's like, I'm so new to overlanding. Like, like my rig is, I would say ninety one percent. You know, what I'm saying it's, it, it's almost. There. Is it Robbie Bryant ninety nine percent or ninety one percent, or is it the Overlanders? It's probably completely done for most of them. Oh yeah, dude. Like, <laughs> I mean, people would. I'm sure they would kill to have my rig, but there's like just certain things I still want to do to it. I want to have like a tire carrier bumper, so I have a tire carrier on the rear because those tire carriers they have they swing out. And then there's a table that folds down and that's what you use to cook on. And uh, so I want one of those. I'm trying to work with this company called Rigged Supply, R-I-G-D Supply. And they make a tailgate hitch thing that goes into your hitch and it's a tire carrier and it swings open and it's got this huge table. So Rigged Supply, if you see this, I'm trying to work with you guys. Please work with me. I'm going back to SEMA. I'm going to be in Tread Magazine. Um, but dude, the the crazy thing is, bro, is if I was building a lifted bro truck, mall crawler, whatever, you know, like I'm not making fun of them. That's, that's I still love those trucks for the last ten years. So you're, but that's just what most people know them by, bro trucks, yeah. mall crawler. So if if I was building one of those, I would have zero problem getting partnerships because I've already, I've got years of of proof of of proving myself. Yeah. But nobody knows me in the Overland industry. And so it's like I'm starting over. So I have to resend out my proposal. Um, talk about, hey, I've got a feature, you know, that that is pretty promising in Tread Magazine. And, I mean, I don't have a letter of intent. I don't even think those are a thing anymore. But, yeah. um, you know, I'm going back to SEMA. I, I own Overland of America. We're going to have this expo. I bought a booth for... More Expo, which is a, an event in Springfield, Missouri, uh, which is an Overland Expo or Overland event in Springfield that we bought a 30 by 30 booth at for our event to promote at. And man, it's it's tough because in that in that industry, it's all about the influencer, the 
they call them storytellers. The guys that go out every weekend and film and YouTube and, and all that, like, like I've got a, over a hundred thousand social media followers, just Instagram, but all my stuff, and I've got 5,000 on YouTube, which I don't even use. I'm going to start using it again. Um, I actually changed my YouTube name from keg media TV to keg adventures because I'm going to start filming. Yeah. I'm going to start filming like our RV trips, our Disney trips. Like when we go to Rome or, or freaking Mexico or, or if I'm overland camping or if I'm in the grand Canyon, I'm just going to start filming and putting it out there. Cause that's the guys that people want to partner with, you know? And, yeah. and here I am, I've done all this stuff to prove myself over the years and it don't mean squat. Like <laughs> it, 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 it's hard. It's a, it's a te- definitely a different industry. And it's so crazy because it's still the truck industry. It's just a different side of it. Still modified. Um, it's not like they're rolling stock. Yeah. Still, still modified, modified stuff. And like, I mean, dude, my gladiator is freaking badass. Like, like I, I've got a company right now called Skinny Guy Campers. They make like this thirty or thirty-five thousand dollar just badass camper. Um, it's got like it opens up in the top. It's got a toilet in it, a heater, kitchen sink, stove, all this stuff in it, and it's one that fits on top of your bed like a camper shell. And they want me to be an ambassador for them. They're willing to give me one to use the whole year, and then I give it back at SEMA or. They sell it to me at like a big discount yeah. or something like that. But I've never, I've never done a sponsorship to where I give something back. You know what I'm saying? So it's, one. that's weird for me, you know, and, but, but it's a $30,000 part, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. $30,000, $35,000 product that, I mean, I get it because in the Overland industry also, uh, people that do the trailers, the pull behind Overland trailers, like they'll loan those out for like a year at a time to some of these storytellers and influencers and they'll do all this filming. So they're getting like all this publicity out of it and filming and they're camping with it, real world use, but then they give it back. And it's so not part of a vehicle though, you just unhook it and drop it off. Yeah. That you can unhook. But with me, I would have to take off the camper. I've already got, I'd have to take off my probably trim up my roof rack. Cause it might hit it. I would have to get rid of my deck system. I'd have to get rid of some of my rigid lights that are on my camper. I'd have to get rid of my rooftop tent. Um, my awning, like there's a lot of stuff that I have to change to do that. And like, I want to do it, but then I'm still like back and forth about it. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, if I was just starting from scratch and I hadn't already built my rig and almost had it where I want it, it would be like, Oh hell yeah. You know, this is the way to go. I don't care about giving it back after SEMA, but I plan on selling my rig after SEMA, but I have enough things coming up before SEMA and all the filming we're going to do and the expos and events we're going to attend and the possible tread magazine feature that that should be enough in my opinion, but it's different in that industry. Um, but I ordered, a uh, Ineos Grenadier, um, which is a, a vehicle built in France. It's like, a it's, it's, it's like the ultimate off-road vehicle. It's got triple lockers. Uh, it looks like a, like an old Land Rover Defender, but they quit making those. And so this yeah. guy who was a huge Defender, you know, buff, he wanted to buy the rights to, I think, the Defenders, and they wouldn't sell it to him, like Porsche, Jaguar, or whatever, wouldn't sell to him, uh, Land Rover, or whatever. But um, so he designed his own vehicle, started his own vehicle company called Enios. Is that and your build? So I ordered one of those. Is that your build for SEMA this year? No, it, it won't be in until probably October, November. 
So, so what are you building? For I'll build it. Year? I'm just taking my gladiator back, just changing it up. Going to do a wrap. Got different wheels and tires going on it. Um, Fury just sent me some new tires for it. Uh, KG one sent me some new beadlocks for it. Um, but I mean, I've done a lot of stuff to it since SEMA, you know, just little accessories here and there, but, uh, we're going to wrap it. Um, I got all my lighting finally finished up. Uh, uh, it's mine's got AccuAir suspension on it, which uh, dude AccuAir, like I would think it's going to catch on in the overland industry. Cause one thing I've noticed about overlanding is when you go camp, you try to find a level area to camp or else you're going to be sleeping all messed or up, you know, on blocks um, or something. Yeah. Or they have to like stack on rocks or blocks. Like, dude, I can, if I go out with a group, I can take the worst spot in the camp area. Cause I can just level myself out, you know, that, uh, so, uh, like so if you're taking that back, you're going to do the build management again this year. That's still on the books. Yeah, I, I need to. Uh... Sorry, I vape. I had to get a vape. <laughs> You're a ricer kid. So, we knew it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I, I'm surprised I'm not doing it because everybody knows I vape. I vape and I drink sweet tea, gold peak sweet tea. That's all I ever do. I don't do. think I've ever seen you without at least one of those in your hand. <laughs> always my phone a vape or my sweet tea i always got one usually two um but what'd you ask me i'm sorry um about doing uh the build management for this year oh yeah yeah so keen has been on me because we're about to start february or actually we're in february <laughs> so we're about to start march um i haven't signed any builds up yet i have a few contracts that i have to get done uh, a couple guys I did builds with last year. Um, so this will be my advertisement. If if you want me to do a SEMA build for you, get with me so we can get you on my books because I'm only going to do probably 10. The days of me doing 20, 25 builds are over. It takes too much time. I want to be able to dedicate the time that I do have properly to the people that I'm working with. So I'm only going to do probably eight or 10 vehicles. I, I don't and, know uh, people like Chris, old truck guru does like 60 something. It's like, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine it. One's too much for me. Dude, it's crazy. But you know what? When I talked to guru and I talked to Josh at Max Diesel, like they don't, they don't fill the paperwork out for the people. Like they make their client do that, which that's a, that's a time saver, bro. Cause True. say for instance, if I'm working with Fury tires, right. And I have 11 builds that need Fury tires. I have 11 different digital forms I have to fill out. Now, if you figure when I was doing 2022 builds, everybody's getting horn blasters. Well, if I have to send, fill out two or three forms for horn blasters or one form for Vi-Air or, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But all my builds were using Vi-Air. It's like, that, dude, that's a whole day, day and a half, two days sometimes just filling out forms. Yeah, that like I said, it's hard enough for one. I mean, I tell people all the time, there's been weeks I've put a 40-hour work week in just making a SEMA spot happen with parts and companies, you know. Like you, it's not like you can work 15 hours a day and then still try to try to work yeah. it in. And think about that. If with, with your whole SEMA build that you did, if you figure up all the hours that you have in it, filling out paperwork, making phone calls, doing emails, all that stuff, You've probably got two, three solid weeks. In yep, it, easily. Now take that times 20 to 25. No, nah, I'm out. That's, I, I can't do it no more, bro. Like I was actually like, it, it like ages me, but like, dude, the stress level, like I, I've had issues where I'm having chest pains here and there. And, 
you know, I had a blood clot, you know, a while back. Luckily, I got to the hospital in time and, and they shot me full of some concoction and dissipated and stuff. But just the stress factor of all that stuff, dude. And then people, you know, still texting me at 10, 11 o'clock at night. And I'm not saying you can't, any of my friends or clients. I mean, but when you got that 15, many. 20 people doing it, bro, like, like, you know, like it was, it was causing problems with my family, with my marriage. Like, you know, like there's nothing more important to me than, than, than God and my family. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what comes first, you know? And, and when I was letting my business come before my family and come before my faith, you know, once I figured it out, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, I took a wake up call, but once I figured it out, I was like, nah, no more, you know, I'm changing my life. And then, you know, I lost Greg, you know, around that time. And, and, you know, and then last year we lost both of Kina's parents who lived with us. They, we have a pool house that we built into a, a in-law suite and, and we lost both of them last year. Just dude, my life has changed so much, bro. In the last year that, uh, we bought that RV and went out on the road in it and spent seven weeks out there and, and just seeing some of our national parks and how beautiful our country is it, you know, my, my goal is to drive to still have home base, probably in Florida eventually, but still have, you are getting old then if you're trying to move to Florida, (laughs) because of Disney, bro. Like I got to make your life happen. (laughs) The only reason it's Florida is because Disney. Um, but, um, you, you know how much money I would save if she lived close to Disney? Um, my wife's about the same way. Well, I don't know if I would say, because then she'd be there every day spending money. Like I could see Kina going two, three, four times a week, like legit. Every if she lived within driving. Nice to see you again today. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they'll know her for sure. Um, but you know, like my goal is to be able to go to one of my events, leave our house, go to one of our events, throw the event and then stay on the road for a couple months until the next event. And then if we decide after that event, we want to come home, then come home for a little bit go out to the next event and then hit the road some more. Or if we just want to stay out and stay out for six or seven months, you know, and just go from event to event and, and national park to national park and, and do it that way, then I'm good with that too. Cause I can, we have Starlink and I can work from anywhere that I can answer a phone or send an email yep. and, uh, and use my laptop. And so I've, I've been, I talk about my faith. Uh, I've been very, very blessed in life. Um, I believe in treating people good and good comes back to you. Um, I used to be a really terrible person when I was younger. Like I said, I didn't get my stuff together until I was 33 and met Kina. Um, and she's not a Bible thumper or nothing. She didn't get me into it. I just, I wisened up, dude. I, I started seeing it. You know what I'm saying? The the better I treat people, the better my life is getting. And, and the more I do for people, uh, less fortunate, you know, or, or helping military families or donating, you know, things that you can do. You, you don't need to do it and post about it because God is going to take care of you. You know, your reward comes from doing it and, 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 and the feeling that it gives you and, and what you get from the future. And even if God doesn't bless me and give me anything for doing good, I, I still want to do good. You know what I'm saying? Like, in your mind. But you know, yep. I cuss and, and I don't drink. I, I don't smoke weed or nothing. Like everybody that knows me knows I'm straight laced like that. I've never been a drinker. I've never smoked 
or I'm not saying I've never smoked weed, but I'm not a, uh, I'm not a weed smoker. I'm not a heavy partier. Uh, a lot of people don't realize this, but that's because I suffer from anxiety. Um, you will never see me at a show in a big group of people. So when I was in relaxed atmosphere and, and, and aftermath and stuff, it was so hard for me to pay attention to what people were talking to me about because I was in such a big crowd. My tunnel vision is telling me, how can I get out of this? My heart's racing. I'm nervous. Like, it's just, I don't know what it is, but I have anxiety. Like when I go to a restaurant, I have to sit in the back of the restaurant. I can't have people behind me. Um, the worst thing is when I go to the chiefs games, bro, because my son likes to sit front row or really close. And I know I've got thousands of people behind me, but at least I'm occupied. I'm watching that game. Um, but like at car shows, man, like I try not to be in big groups. Um, I don't like people to stand behind me. I especially don't, I don't like people touching me. Like, like, I don't know, man. I'm just, it's something about my anxiety, but, uh, but yet that uh, that part of you's probably helped drive you to what to make Keg Media what it is though. Yeah. And you know, because I'm not a talker and a partier and stuff like that, you know, I've had people say, Oh yeah, that dude's a fucking prick, or you know, he's an asshole, or you know, like I'm not friendly or whatever. I but man, if you get if you get to talk to me, I'm I'm a friendly person. I love people, man. I love to talk and I love people. I just can't do crowds, man. And if we're in a crowd, I gotta I got a geo out of there. So what's next for keg media? Like where do you see in the next five to 10 years, where do you see keg media? I would see keg media as strictly an event promotion company in the next five years. Um, I plan to start a new Overland event each year for the next three years in different parts of the country. I plan to keep going with orange beach. I plan to keep going with lifted truck nationals. Um, maybe with the whole tailgate and tall boys thing depends on how our contract pans out with that um and maybe start a jeep event and possibly a power sports expo uh the jeep event and the power sports expo would also be at different times of the year at mid-america yeah. but i see excuse me i see myself being strictly an event promoter and doing what my buddy greg miller did and that was be a, a professional event promoter so so no more renderings and logo design and all that or is that where you hire I still do because keep in mind i don't do the renderings personally i have somebody do them for me and i would never want to take that off of his plate um and take money off of his table so i will always offer renderings so that way i can always make sure that i'm not taking anything away from him um and then logo design is my favorite thing to do in graphic design um, I love when I do a logo because I pretend it's my company and how would I want it to look if I was starting that type of business. And I really feel like I'm good with brand development like that. And uh, and I love making logos. So I, I will probably still do logos if asked, but it's it just won't be a thing that I'll promote heavily because I'll be so busy doing event stuff. Yeah. Um, but my goal is to have a team that works for me. Um, that staffs our events that, you know, somebody that handles our books and accounting, a marketing team, a PR team, and, uh, to eventually where I can retire and, and the business run itself, you know, have an event management team that manages the events and stuff. And, um, you know, of course the ones I have partners in, you know, they'll, they'll do their part, but you know, that's, that's my goal. 
I, I, I can't retire doing renderings or logos, you know, <laughs> I still, I still have to do it. <laughs> you know, I still have to do it to, to make money. So I can't, I can't retire with, with my keg media business. I have to create something that is, has longevity to it and that can be ran with a group of people running it for me. And that would be event promotion. Well, like I said, at the beginning of the podcast, the logo for this podcast, was completely your idea. I didn't like, I gave you some suggestions and you didn't use any of them. And I been <laughs> happy with my recommendations. If you would have gone that route versus the yeah. logo you did and my logo, my Braille images logo, I've used it for gosh, probably 20 years now. Dude, that's such an old logo too. Like, you use it for so long. Every time I see it, I'm like, man, I could slay that logo now. But back then, I did slay that logo. You know what I'm saying? But it's Too like late to to change a logo 20 years in to freshen it up. Like you don't see the models changing theirs. Yeah, you remember my badge I had for a keg that was like this shape? Yeah, I don't use that no more. Like I, I made something. So I made Lacey Blair's logo, and I made uh, Cal's logo from Cal. In Canada. Yeah, Cal from Canada. And they are so good at branding themselves. And I thought, when after I made those, I thought, gee whiz, you know, like, I need to create a logo for Keg that people would want to run that looks more modern, you know, more more motorsports looking. And so I created the new Keg logo, and uh, that's what I use now on renderings and stuff. But, I mean, most people still do. What you're saying is I need a new Burrell Images logo. Wouldn't hurt for a little slide update. Hmm. Well, I do have business my, cards in the work with you, so yeah. maybe mine looks different, but I still use the same color, so it still ties into it. But like with yours, you know, you can change it up, but still utilize your same blues that you use, so it still ties into it. You know. Hmm. Well, like I said, maybe maybe you just upsold uh, the business cards into it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, boy. That goes back to your used car salesman days, I guess, is what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ain't no better sucker for a salesman than a salesman. <laughs> so, what? Uh, <laughs> how do people find you if they want to find you on any of the platforms? What do they need to search? So, every single thing that I have is at Keg Media. Um, I own kegmedia.com. Uh, I own keg-media.com. Actually, I think. I think our .com is keg-media. I can't remember if I ever pointed keg-media at keg-media because years ago, keg-media wasn't available. So I had to do keg-media.com. And then some sucker thought they was going to catch a sucker and hit me up and wanted to sell me keg-media.com for like three grand. I'm like, I don't need that. I've ran my business for 12 years with keg-media and everybody's used to it. I was like, I'll give you a hundred bucks for it. And so they sold it to me. Nah. So I own it too. But um all social media is at Keg Media. Um I do have uh at Overland of America. I have at Lifted Truck Nationals. I have at Orange Beach Invasion. Um I don't use any spaces. And then my new Instagram that I'm trying to do with the outdoorsy thing is at Keg Adventures. And my YouTube is Keg Adventures. Gotcha. I'm sure people yep. look you up that don't know you, but I'm sure a lot of the people listening already knew who you were, or at least a, a little bit of your story, but I think you've given them pretty good insight on who Robbie is and where Keg Media came from and going. So, Yeah, I figure a lot of people that are going to watch this are like some of our old friends, so hey, old friends. <laughs> Hope I see you again soon, but for people that don't know, man, 
this guy right here, he is he is meant to do a podcast. Didn't I tell you that? Yeah. When you when you asked me about your idea of a podcast, I was like, dude, you're meant to do a podcast. It'd be perfect. Well, I figured, you know, 30 years in the scene and 23 shooting for magazines and, you know, adding the video several years ago, it's like, what else is there? I mean, I, if I'm not creating something that's automotive related, like I'm mm-hmm. lost. So, yeah, dude, and you know, you have so many contacts. There's, I mean, besides guys that you've shot for the magazines and the covers, but like, dude, get Dan Ward on here. Try to find Maxwell, get him on here. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, uh, dude, if you can get Craig Elder on here, if you could find him, like some of the old schools, yep. but like, you know, bring some of that back, man, some nostalgia stuff like that. But, uh, you know, McCormick, yeah, like, um, but even like, uh, um, I mean, you got to have Alexander on here, Mike Alexander. He's already uh, planned for uh, after LST, yeah. we'll get together. So me, me and Mike yeah. are tied pretty heavily. I love that dude, man, like a brother. Um, but, uh, even some of the companies, man, like, like some of the guys from undercover or, you know, just marketing manufacturers, like the different, the different companies, you know, new products, you know, just, oh man, there's, I mean, for you, dude, it's endless. There's like so many people you can bring on here. And that was the whole point behind this. Cause you know, I've done this and made a lot of connections over the years. So it's like, like your story for people to have your story. Like I learned stuff today that I didn't know about you. So you know, I, I think that that'll be cool. And then bringing the, the people in, I kind of want to give the listeners or watchers or however that is uh, insight to the backside of the industry and how the back yeah. side of it works that w- me and you and, and these people see every day, but as an enthusiast, you don't. So I definitely mm-hmm. appreciate you coming on and, and having your story on, on what and who you are. And hopefully the listeners enjoyed it. So thanks for having me on brother. I appreciate it. It means a lot to me. I appreciate it, Robbie. All right. See ya.